0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com HRN.
1: Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. Happy Cinco de Mayo. This is the 287th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a wonderful chef and restaurateur who specializes in Afrofusion cuisine, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, And then later, we will have my speed round game industry news segment at the end of the show this week with a special guest, Lee Brian Schrager, the founder and director of SoBe Wine and Food Festival. And plus, as always, we will have my solo dining experience and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to believe in yourself. Believe in your capabilities, your desires, and your dreams, and that you can accomplish anything with the right mindset. Trust what comes from your heart and soul and never underestimate it. Be your own biggest cheerleader knowing that anything is possible if you believe. That's my tip today. Now I'm thrilled to have my guest joining me. It is Diana Tandia, the chef and owner of Berber Street Food, an African cafe in New York City's West Village featuring Afro-fusion cuisine. Diana, who is from Tanea, Africa, moved to New York City in 2001 and began working as a server in high-end restaurants, including Danielle, Se and Brasserie Rollman, while attending college. She then went on to study at the French Culinary Institute in 2006, where she developed her own unique style and flair. Diana then gained more experience in kitchens, returning to Danielle, as well as at Spice Market and Gramercy Tavern, among others. Her culinary philosophy and passion reflects the growing trend towards a healthier and down-to-earth lifestyle. So hi, Diana, welcome to the show.
3: Hi, Sherry, thank you so much. you for having me.
1: I'm thrilled to have you. I know we've been trying to make this happen for a little while. So it's it's great. We're doing it today. And I always start out with my guests to find out about their background. And I'm very intrigued by yours because you grew up in, in Africa where I and, and it's on my list of must visit places. <laughs>
3: <So> oh yeah.
1: <laughs> tell me a little bit about your, your childhood and, and how your family, if they influenced your career in cooking.
3: Yes. Originally, I'm from West Africa, which I call a fairy tale country. It's located in the West North. And uh, I was raised in two families. My mom is from like a Berber tribe, and my dad is Sarahole with the Senegalese roots. So I was raised in two different cultures, Mauritania, and I spent a lot of time in my teenager life in Senegal. So growing up at young age, I watched my family making food from scratch. So I, I developed a really great relationship with food. And during my teenager uh, time, I spent a lot of time in the kitchen helping our cooks and my aunt to make food from scratch. So I had that passion of food with me since I was young.
1: So when you moved to New York, it was at, the, at that time, you weren't thinking of a culinary career, but it was more yeah. you working restaurants to support yourself?
3: Not really, because uh, I moved in New York in two thousand and one. To after I graduated high school, because my dad is a diplomat, so I guess I don't know if you can relay in that. But being African, you always told what to do and what. Either you can be an engineer or doctor or a nurse or something. My parents wanted me really to follow their path, so I came here and I was uh, I, I wanted to major in political science. And while I was going to college, I needed to support myself. But since French was my first language. It was easier for me to find a job in a French restaurant. And a friend of mine just recommended me at Daniel, and I landed to work at Daniel Boulud as a hostess. And then I moved as a waitress. And while I was there, I really fell in love with the elegant service and the kitchen brigade. And my inner voice always been telling me, follow your passion. But I, always, I was always scared to speak up because I did not know how my mom would react to my decision being a chef, because growing up in Africa, I grew up with maids and cooks. So being a chef at that time wasn't trendy at all, and it was like on the bottom of the shelf.
1: Yeah, so, so that. but then you decided to to take the leap or to just go for it so and, and go to cooking. I,
3: then I started working for free. I was going to college, and my free time and waiting table, I asked one of the pastry chefs at Rulman that time, uh, BLT, who's like Laurent Tounander, used to be my chef after I left Daniel. So I was working at Brasserie and has a waitress. I asked the chef, do, the fish to chef this anyway? I can help you during the weekend for free. I, I don't need to be paid. And he was like one of my first mentors, mean, and told me to follow my dream. Out of nowhere, I just took a big leap of faith and went into studying the culinary art in 2006 at the French Culinary
1: and then, what led you to open your own restaurant? Was that when you started cooking? Um, did, you, did you think one day you would have your own place, or that was something that developed or came as, you know, later?
3: Being at a young age, eating fresh food, seeing like everything made from scratch, I was very blessed to be exposed to that. And working in fine dining opens up my eyes with the beautiful ingredient; everything is fresh, the elegant service and it was a kitchen brigade. You really need to be disciplined in order to work in fine dining. And uh, what really opened my mind to open my restaurant was like after I left fine dining I felt like I had a cold. Unfortunately I lost my mom in 2016 so I left to Asia again and I went to Bali for a silent retreat. So when I went to a silent retreat I was so much in pain and I needed to heal and I asked the divine spirit for guidance in my purpose in life. So when I came back in New York, then I realized, wow, I am ready. I wanted to open something, but I wanted to go back to my roots. I know it's been uh, confusing for people. How come I can do fine dining all these years, travel the world, and when I come back to New York, open an African restaurant, which is based on a concept of street food.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, how have you, I mean, I I mean, the decision is I think it's it's amazing that you would take your fine dining background and be able to, you know, apply it to anything you wanted to do with doing Mm -hmm. street food. But how has that been with consumers perception from when you opened and even till now, Uh, because there aren't, you know, even living in New York City, I feel African cuisine is is still pretty much. I don't know under the radar or it's just under a about
3: exactly because what I did is basically when I wanted to open uh, Berber street food. Berber is just a tribe. A lot of people get confused with Berber, thinking like it's a spice from Ethiopia. It's a tribe. It's like a like a tribe from North Africa from Morocco. So I say I'm gonna take Berber and call it street food, and then I combined both because I felt like African cuisine and. You, you said it really well, it's really underrepresented in the culinary world. When you talk about African food, it's either people think it's too spicy or not healthy. So since God gave me the voice to be able to work in fine dining and travel the world, so I wanted to educate people. Then I say, okay, how about we do African cuisine and then with a flair of French and Asian? Because uh, people don't understand the African diet. When you talk about African food, it's basically... The food is like based on a wholesome diet instead of like a process, uh, processed food. So that's what really led me to open the Afro uh, Burger Shoot Food to educate people and uh, talk about to put basically African cuisine on the map.
1: So, what are some of your signature dishes? Or if someone coming there the first time, what would you, what would you
3: recommend for them to get? Well, definitely my menu tells a story. We have like a lot of dishes that crisscross and that can educate you about uh, African slavery, that can educate you about the diet of being vegan, which is very trendy right now. So the best dish of my, like, uh, which put me really, is like the uh, the Berber Fist, which is like a, a, a leg of lamb, which we marinated 24 hours with a lot of bold spices, We blend, which I blend myself, and it's uh, marinated for 24 hours. Then we grill it and serve it in a beautiful chunk ball so the presentation is very eye-catching and we invest a lot of time and love in our dishes. Then we have the mafia part, which is vegan, because I have a big vegan menu, which is a, a peanut butter sauce we cook in okra and it's served with cassava uh, fufu. Fufu is like a pounded cassava, which is like a very uh, nutrient and that keeps you going all day. Then we have the akara. I'm sure you a foodie, you should know about the akara which is the black IP fritter. The only place you will see Akara besides Africa will be in Brazil, in uh, Bahia, and they call it acaraje And also I serve the camel, which was big, like a big hit because people were intrigued. Where do I find camel and what makes me serve camel, which is the main meat in my country where I'm from, Mauritania.
1: Well, I mean, I'm just listening to you I and mean, I'm getting hungry and I have to say <laughs> when I was when I was I was on your website looking around and also I was just I was I was like I have to get back down to your restaurant. Uh you have so many amazing dishes and I also it's very user friendly as well because you have pictures and descriptions on your website. So someone not as familiar with your food, it, it makes it it makes it, you know, very easy to to, you know, see what you're offering and and want to
3: come visit. (laughs) Yeah, because I need it because I know a lot of restaurants, especially fine dining, they will give you the main ingredient they use that fit. But since Mm -hmm. I'm doing a cuisine which is very different, underrepresented, I need to take another step and make sure I describe, put like beautiful pictures at the same time, also describe the food so people can be comfortable because it's a type of cuisine where like a lot of Westerners are not as accustomed to it. They think it's spicy. They think they they have no idea when they sit. And a lot of my customers will ask me, oh, I never had African food. I don't like spicy food. The only answer I give them is like, how about you sit? My food will speak to you.
1: Yeah, it kind of makes me think of, I guess, from more my childhood or or people like not being as familiar with Indian cuisine and Uh thinking that it's only curry or spicy and and indian cuisine has become actually my solo dining experience i'm going to talk about a place that just opened but it's definitely become at least in new york more mainstream and i feel african cuisine isn't there yet but but i feel with what you're doing and educating people and serving you know amazing food um is is you know you're you're a big part of the movement
3: <laughs> oh definitely I believe in that. And what makes us unique also is the menu is seasonal. Every three months I change the menu, but I always keep the classic dishes. Because when you see Africa has 54 countries, so 54 countries, I cannot put 54 countries at the same time. So what I do every three months, I rotate the menu and I feature different dishes uh, in different countries around Africa, which makes it excited, but a bit challenging also.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously that's an amazing amazing point. Like sometimes you you talk about African cuisine and you I forget that it's it's a, <laughs> it's a whole continent. It's not just yeah. one little region. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
3: um
1: and when I was when I was down there it was a couple months ago and I got a bit of a tasting for your empanadas and and I mean, your food is so flavorful and delicious. Uh, I was I wanted to talk a little bit about what's happened in the this past year because at that time when I was down it was there was limited outdoor dining or sat outside. But you you didn't did you have indoor before or I played? did
3: have yes, I okay. did have like sixteen uh, actually sixteen seats. But the main concept when I opened Burboshoot food, because before I opened shoot Food I used to do a lot of catering. Living in Tribeca Is a blessing because we have a lot of rooftop. All my friends always uh, invite me, say, oh, I have a party for 10 people or 20. Can you cater for me? And also they call Tribeca the nursery of New York City. There's a lot of kids. That's the best place to raise a kid. So I did a lot of birthdays. And most of my friends also, they own houses in the Hampton. So I spent a lot of time in the Hampton catering. So the demand was so big, but I could not find the kitchen. I was struggling going to Brooklyn, So I was working on the West Village one day, and I saw that small spot. So the main idea was basically to open Berber Street Food, cater, and then while I'm catering, I'm just going to sell small stuff. Then the write-up got big. Everybody loves the food, so that's why I ended up having the inside. But it wasn't part of my plan to have people in. It was just like a takeout. At the same time, I will continue doing my catering. And after then we had big corporate before COVID, we were doing really good because after all the write-up and people enjoying my food, sampling it, we were doing a lot of corporate events, especially corporate lunch, and we had a lot of corporate account for lunch and dinner. And after COVID hit, it was very challenging because my cell went really down and I had to let go half of my team because I couldn't pay them anymore. Unfortunately, everybody works from home. No one was ordering corporate dinner or lunch.
0: So I right. had to change
3: the whole concept, make the kitchen bigger, and just rely on a beautiful day. If it's a great day, we have our outdoor open, and we're just doing now take out And people still miss the plating because everything is very earthy, the way we play, the, the wooden bowl we use. So I still have like an eight seat outside, first come, first serve. So it's been a very challenging time for me to be a small business and to serve a unique cuisine, which is not exposed to the Western world. So I have to change. And also the only thing that saved me, I do have a lot of regulars and the newcomers and the trend of being vegan. So I think sometimes obstacle can be a blessing. That gives me a time to sit back, think deeply, how can I bring more customers? And since I added like more vegan uh, option and make it big, so I see like a lot of newcomers coming to try my food, but still I have not really make money. And on top of that, I supervise everything. I work long hours, I am the chef, with two great cooks behind me that are supporting me. I do the service, I am the cashier, but also that makes me, give me the chance to be very close to my customers, to listen to them and to be in touch.
1: Wow. Yeah. No, I feel for you. And I know, I mean, chef, owner, your business in this just, I mean, it's been, it's been such a hard year. Uh, and I, but it's, it is great. You have your regulars and that you've, I feel like you've, you've figured out how to, I hate to say survive, but I guess you have.
3: Yeah. <laughs> right now I'm just surviving. The money is not yet dead because I'm not paying myself. And on top of that, having a family, is suffer a little bit because I spend a lot of time. I work between 12 to 13 or 14 hours a day because I'm trying to juggle everything, but I'm a big believer. I believe in myself and I took a big leap of faith to open this place. I will do my best until like my last breath to say, okay, at least I try, but I am not somebody who quit that easy.
1: Yeah, no, I have great, great Great admiration for you and everything you do. And do you, so for the future, do you think you would, do you have any goals to maybe open other restaurants or move spaces or you're just, or as of now you're content. I mean, you're not content, but your location in the West Village, I mean, you're on an amazing block. You're very, it's, uh, I love where you you are located (laughs) and I think it's prime. (laughs)
3: Yeah, absolutely. This is my baby because it's very personal to me. I started from zero, like the decor and everything. I didn't pay anyone. It was just my partner and I. We worked so hard to make it up. So I'm a big believer the universe has so much to offer. And I want to reach my potential, my highest potential in the culinary world. So I would love to expand. And my biggest goal is basically to put African food on the map especially in the cleaning world. How about open a restaurant which is gonna be a fine dining like African food? So I have a lot of vision, but right now I just need to focus to see how can I make this place stable. And since it's already like we got we got great write up, it's on the map, but definitely I have great, great, great goals and hopefully the universe will support me to achieve them.
1: Yeah, no, you have you have gotten amazing amazing press and and write ups of you know on on your food and concept and well well deserved. Mm-hmm. You, I was think I was thinking because I was I was thinking about other African restaurants or places maybe I've been to in the city and I thought of Taranga, and I I've been mm-hmm. up to Afri, Afrikeen in Harlem and Buna Cafe over in uh in um. In Bushwick uh-huh. area, but is there a strong community among restaurateurs who are doing African cuisine in in New York?
3: Not really, because sadly, to be honest, I think uh, we they need. We need, like, I don't know, the, like the Pierre is like a great, like he's a good friend, he's a brother to me. We need really to combine our forces and try, like, really to do something about the African restaurant, because I feel like we are still very, very underrepresented.
1: Yeah, yeah, I met That's him, he's, he's gotten some nice press too, but you're right, yeah. I, you are. He's
3: older than me, he's really older than me, and I always admire him, because he was doing something bold. I think what saved me is like my culinary background, and I'm bold. The fact that I wanted to open my restaurant in the middle of the West Village, which is like a great area, to attract customers. And I think I did my best, but still it's gonna be sad. The way like Indian food and Mexican food is represented, I will do my best to make sure Africa African food will be the next one to be represented. Because our diet is amazing. I know the Mediterranean diet got a lot, a lot of press, but if people get a chance to sit down and come to my restaurant or go to Pierre or go to Kinne or Buna and sit down and take more time to enjoy African food. They will understand the food is fresh, it's flavorful, it's authentic, and it's based on grain. Now you see the new trend is quinoa, the new trend is fonio. the new trend is moringa. All these products are from Africa, but here they call it the superfood. But in Africa, we've been eating that since like many, many centuries. Yeah. So it,
1: well, we're-
3: where do you source your products from? Is that easy or hard for you to get here? Because basically for my blend, I, all my spices, I make them. I buy them in bulk and I roast them. All the spices, you will uh, test at my place, I make them. My high sources, I make them. The only thing that give me a little trouble is my camel Kofta because I source it in Australia. And sometimes the shipping can be super expensive. But besides that, I deal with different like uh vendors, some people that come from like Ghana will bring me something. But with the pandemic, I had a hard time sourcing my product and I do seasonal. And uh, since I'm a small restaurant, I don't buy in bulk. I just buy whatever I need for the months. And when it's like uh, when I'm low in stock, I will already order again. For vegetables and uh, my meat product, I go local. I go to Pinot. He's been in the West Village more than 30 years. That's where I get all my meat. So I know my sources and for my vegetables, it's every day. I deal with Riviera, I deal with Baldor, and with small farmers. So basically, everything is fresh and I know the source. Yeah, well, makes sense. And I'm
1: glad yeah. you're, yeah, having those relationships is, is definitely great. Oh, yeah, sense. it's
3: definitely important to know where you're sourcing your product. It's just I don't go online, or since I'm not big and I, cook everything fresh. It's important to me to know. And then I just want to take the concept like home. Every morning, I never remember seeing our maids opening the fridge to cook something. Every morning, she has like her basket and she's heading to the market.
1: Yeah. Well, I love that approach. And I think it's 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 wonderful um, that yeah. you're able to do that. hmm Let me ask you my question for my last guest. So on episode 286, I had on Gavin Kaysen. He's the chef and founder of Soigne Hospitality Group, which includes Spoon & Stable, Demi, Bellacourt, Bakery at Cook's and Crocus Hill of Crocus Hill. He's also the co-founder of Heart of the House Foundation and he's a featured chef in Fiden's today's special, 20 Leading Chefs Choose 100 Emerging Chefs. So his question, Mm -hmm. If you were asked to change a dish from your culture by a guest, such as make it vegan, how -hmm. would you respond to that? He also said, if you were able to cook your food exactly how you wanted to and tell and storytell your cuisine, would you alter the way that you cook?
3: So definitely, like absolutely, I would be open to change a dish to a vegan because I'm I've been very lucky to be able to expose to different cuisine and style of cooking, so I wouldn't have a problem to change a a regular dish to a vegan dish. Okay, do you get requests like that often? Oh yeah, definitely, because like that's why when you look at my menu, I try to be fair. the The vegan menu is called African Vegan Land, and the Meat menu is called Meat explorer. So when you look at the menus, basically it's two menu identical, but I will take whatever is meat and substitute with something else to make it vegan. And I feel like everybody's happy. You can have a partner who's vegan, but you can have the same meal, but eating different, you can eat the same meal, but in a different way. When can have it vegan? When can have it with meat?
1: Yeah, well, best, best of both worlds. and you're-
3: Exactly. And you need to follow the trend right now. So I'm very comfortable doing that.
1: Yeah, well, the, Well. yeah, the big news this week or one of the main stories was uh, about how 11 Madison Park is is going vegan. Oh,
3: I can wait. When I read it, I can wait. I'm so excited. And I think the pandemic really helped every chef to sit down and think about deeply. Cause it's about change. This is change. I think like that's true. The universe needed to reset. Mother Earth we needed to reset. But as a chef also, we needed to reset the way we cook and to change not just to know everything has to be meat we can go plant based and make it flavorful and educate people because our journey as a chef to feed people but we can educate them to eat in a healthiest way don't get me wrong I do still respect people who eat meat but also I think it is time for us to go back to mother earth and get our sources from there
1: yeah and I was just thinking I ran into you Uh, at Dirt Candy, vegetarian. Exactly, yeah,
3: because I don't eat red meat. And believe it or not, coming from Mauritania, which is the diet is 99% red meat. We eat a lot of cow, camel and lamb. So being a chef, it was a bit like, uh, how come I serve this? How can I be a chef and be, I'm not vegan, but I don't eat red meat. But the vegan menu make more sense to me. And since uh, I really make my vegan menu bigger, I see people appreciate it, and that brings me more customers. Especially like uh, we have a lot of students from uh, NYU; they love vegan food. The newcomers, so people are very exciting about my vegan menu. Yeah, wow. Well, okay, that's... so no one is left out. <laughs>
1: yeah, no one is, and you're definitely. I guess you talk. You know, we're talking that this is a trend, but you're you're ahead of the curve. <laughs> Maybe you... oh,
3: <laughs> yeah, definitely because. Um, Traveling the world really opened my eyes to know you can eat a plant based and nourish your soul without feeling deprived of something. And also, you need to respect people who want to eat meat. I am in both worlds. I'm just trying to be fair mm-hmm. and to attract more customers.
1: Yeah, well, smart. Okay, yeah. so before we take a break, one more question. Just what advice would you give to someone who's is maybe listening and wants to be a chef, a restaurateur, and I would I mean what would you recommend as far as a career path?
3: Well, to say about me is like you need to be authentic and make sure you do it with love and passion. Because it's a very, very, very hard job. It's not meant for everyone. So if you want to be a chef, you gotta make sure you go with your heart and you cook from the heart. But so you have to be at service with people and you need to be patient. It's not something you jump in and you need to be very, very patient because it takes like a hard labor endurance to uh, to climb the ladder
1: yeah well good advice and uh yeah um i'm i'm so i don't know i'm just i'm so impressed by you i just <laughs> and i really i really do i'm like craving your food so badly right
3: now. <laughs> thank you stop by anytime we're there and the patchou is cute so whenever you're ready we there. Well, I will
1: be coming and we will take a little break right now and then we will come back and we'll have my speed round game. We'll have my solo dining experience and the final question. And then at the end of the show, we will have industry news, my special segment with Lee Brian Schrager.
3: OK, so, awesome.
1: So stay with us. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll be right back. This is on in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Diana Tandia. She is the chef and owner of Berber Street Food, an African cafe in New York City's West Village featuring African street food. So, Diana, it's time for my speed round. What this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Mm -hmm. You ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail or champagne? Mocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge?
3: All exclusive charge. Fine
1: dining or casual eats? Casual eats. Couple more. Cooking in Bali or in Laos? In Laos. You did both. I did both in Laos. Well, I've believe it or not, I have been to both places, which I'm impressed really? With. I really yes,
3: <laughs> beautiful places. <laughs> Beautiful. Nothing to say. I think Bali is like really like a now, uh, Bali is not that authentic compared to Laos. Laos is still very untouched. Not that many people go to Laos.
1: Yeah, true. I, I, yeah, yeah, that's why I'm kind of amazed. I have been there, but or, well, to both, but you're right. Laos is definitely
3: more, yeah. um,
1: ext- I don't know. Uh, I less spend public. a
3: lot of time in, I know Bali really well because I spend a lot of summer in Bali but Laos is very untouched and believe it or not, you, there's like the French influence. So the best crepe I ever had on the street is from Laos. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. so Laos is very, very untouched compared to Bali. Wow,
1: Was wasn't sure which, how you'd answer that one, but now I know. Okay, <laughs> um, two more. I have cheese plate or dessert? A dessert. And Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan, fabulous! That's the game. <laughs>
3: Thank you. That's really fun. <laughs> well, you were quick. <laughs> didn't stump well, you on any of them. Sorry,
1: I didn't stump you on any of them. Usually, uh, people get get, get stuck.
3: <laughs> well, I guess my brain has the chef work really fast, so I really need to, to step up. You know.
1: Yeah, and yeah, who's that? <laughs> So um, so as I've mentioned, for industry news, um, we're changing things up today. I'm going to have an industry news segment at the end of the show with a special interview with Lee Brian Schrager. He's the founder and director of the Food Network and Cooking Channel, South Beach Wine and Food Festival, presented by Capital One, which is taking place May 20th to 23rd in South Beach. So stay tuned for that. Uh, mm-hmm. I do have a couple of announcements. Um, Ellen Bennett, who was a guest on my episode 219, she's the founder uh, and CEO of multi-million dollar empire, Headley and Bennett, and she's known mm-hmm. as the apron lady. Well, she has a brand new book out called Dream First, Details Later, How to Quit Overthinking and Make It Happen. Ellen is amazing. I have just given her a shout out. Go check out her book. I'm sure it's uh, it's gonna it's perfect for any aspiring entrepreneurs, and congratulations to her. Just a reminder that com backslash merch is the place to go if you'd like to get some all in the industry hats or any other items we we have. And the hats, um, I'm donating 100% of the, the sales to the Independent Restaurant Coalition for any purchases through May 31st. So um, go go on there and uh, get get some all in the industry hats and other other fun stuff that we have. Okay, for solo dining this week, um, here's my experience. It's at Damaka. So here's the rundown. The location, 119 Delancey Street at the New Essex Market, Lower East Side, New York City. The concept, unapologetic Indian restaurant serving provincial Indian cuisine. The website says Damaka is explosive. The other side of India, the forgotten side of India. The owners are Chef Chintan Padia and Rani Mazumdar, who also own Ada Indian Canteen and Rahi, which are popular Indian restaurants in New York City. So why'd I go? Well, this was a new place. I heard fabulous things about it, and I love Indian food. So my experience. Um, I had an early dinner reservation. On I made it through Rezi. Um, again, I've talked about this in the show. I made it for two people because they don't usually offer reservations for one on these apps. And so I'm going to say now, unapologetically, I showed up as one, but I am (laughs) always apologetic. (laughs) I do always feel bad. I hope they want me as a solo diner. And so far, everyone has.
3: (laughs) I will take that from you then. So since like Razi only takes two, sometimes it's so hard. Sometimes I just want to go by myself. And I realize it's a good trick then.
1: Well, I just... I mean, if it's not, I, I mean, you can call the restaurant and see, but yeah, it just seems a lot of times they don't set up the system to, for one. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe as I continue to talk about solo dining experiences, um, it will get more popular and there will be that option. But <laughs> for <laughs> now I showed up myself. They were, they were very welcoming. I sat at a two top, uh, in inside this indoor dining experience I had, um, I've met Ronnie before and he recognized me, the the, the owner, and uh, cause I had dined at Rahi with my friend Pichet Ong and he remembered me from that. So he came over he said, hi, we had a nice nice chat and I enjoyed my dinner. So what did I get? I got the poplet fry with ginger, cumin and green chutney. I also got their pressure cook, cooker, pulau chicken, With Mm basmati rice and garam masala, I got a side of paratha. And for dessert, chenna poda, which is the only dessert that they offer. My take, I love the poplet fry. It's a fish fry. They told me to eat it with my hands because I was kind of delicately trying to use a knife and fork. They're like, just (laughs) pick it up. Get in there. <laughs> so I got in there. It was delicious. Um, the chicken was really, really flavorful too. Uh, the, everything had a bit of heat to it, so the bread was nice to complement it. Um, and this dessert, um, it's like a warm and spongy dish that was served in a in a tiny clay pot with a wooden spoon. It was delicious. I I, I was like, I don't even, I don't even know. It was just really. I could see why they have this one dessert they're doing because it's it's really good. So the ambiance, I'd say it's kind of like a, more of an urban uh, atmosphere. It's got high ceilings. It has colorful art in the walls. It's part of the Essence Market uh, on the on the t- on the street level uh, on street level, I guess you'd say, um, and has big windows uh, facing the street. And there's a large patio outside because they're doing outdoor dining as well. So I'd say it's perfect for sharing Indian food with friends. Interesting tidbit. They were supposed to open early last year due to COVID. They got delayed, so I'm glad they got open now. So I have two personal fun facts. The first one is while I was dining, a woman came over to me. Her name was Margot, and she knew me from my show, this show. She was a <laughs> listener, and she asked me if I was doing my solo dining experience. <laughs> so I said, well, yes, I, I, I certainly am. So um, hi, Margo. Thanks for, thanks for saying hi and being a fan. And, um, I also had a solo dining experience recently at another Indian restaurant that opened called Sona, which is owned by, um, well, when the co-owner is David Rabin, who was on my episode 169. And this, I had a wonderful experience. I might talk about it on a later show. It's a little more of an, I'd say, elegant, sophisticated dining room and, uh, compared to, uh, Damako is a little more casual. Um, both were. Both were wonderful, and I recommend them both. Uh, the cost of my meal at Damaka was $42. That's not including tax gratuity, plus Ronnie had sent out the dessert, so that was complimentary. Would I go back? Yes, as I said, I would. There was a lot, a lot of sections on the menu I didn't even get to because I was solo. Uh, the website is damaka.nyc. That's D A M A K A dot NYC. So there, Diana, have you, have you been there?
3: No, not. I'm taking notes right now. I know, like, uh, but I'm taking notes, and I. It's so funny. I was in Africa, and I saw you. You went to Wayan, which is one of my favorite places. I dine. Uh, oh. Frederick, yeah, Wayan. Oh. and uh,
1: I yeah. love. I love that restaurant. It's definitely one of my favorites. And I sat. That was me sitting outside in the cold winter in a little like nook area, enjoying dinner. <laughs>
3: And there's another one I've been like last week, which really impressed me. It's owned by the same group. One is called Lady Bird in the East Village, and the other one is Samsaran, which is the first Filipino vegan uh, restaurant in New York City. Oh, wow. I haven't been there. We'll have to oh, go. Yeah. Uh, usually, like uh, whenever. The experience is very amazing because everything is served on a big tray of banana leaves. It's like a communal table, but there's no plates. Everything is served on a banana leaves. And it's vegan,
1: oh wow, cool,
3: yeah, very impressive. There's so many restaurants in New York City every day you walk you will you will discover something new
1: there are, and I've always been so i've uh, overwhelmed by it, I guess this past year, with things slowing down and it just um you know it it it, it became a different sort of uh figuring out where to go, like what's open what what food. yeah save what you know where um, and but now as we're you know right now we're starting like lots of restaurants are reopening and um,
3: it's the city's really coming back to life I feel but don't you think so having the outdoor dining outside the patio it makes it, it gives the character to New York it's very elegant sometimes I can feel I'm in Italy sometimes I feel I'm in Paris or somewhere in Europe I think it gives a lot of charm to the city
1: Yes, I definitely think, I I think it it's brought a lot of character and, and it's been, it's amazing to see what restaurateurs have done to create very welcoming outdoor spaces. And yes. I think Some of there's, them come, have. like, as I said, the block you're on, like you have a very, you have great neighbors, uh, restaurant neighbors, like it's a very lively area i think oh amazing and i'm
3: very blessed to be in that like right next to that trendy restaurant i'm sure you know naminuri yes i think i did i did a solo dining experience of theirs yeah it's a great place it's a trendy it's a trendy place (laughs) to go people who like to take instagram pictures so it doesn't hurt me because it brings me a lot of customers i'm very grateful for that
1: yeah yeah. yeah, I like their stuff. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. Yeah, I took it to go once, um, last year. Oh, really, to- you
3: have to come back and sit down and see it. I think it's a different approach and it's cute. So, basically, a lot of people who never think about African food so will go there the next day. They will come to me telling me we were having dinner and we saw your menu look so interesting. That's why we're here, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that, no, that block is very interesting.
1: Well, yeah, it is. Well, and they're because they're. I mean, that's sushi they're doing something completely different than what you're doing, but people who love food would you know it's it, it attracts them to other
3: yeah definitely
1: so okay, mm-hmm. so let's do for the final question um ask you to ask a question for my next guest. so um I'm having on Adam Fournier. he is a west coast based bartender who was recently named the 2021 U.S. Bartender of the Year in the USBG Presents World Class Sponsored by Diageo um, competition. So he won He won Bartender of the Year, which is amazing. Congratulations. So Diana, what would you like to ask Adam?
3: So I would like to know, can a restaurant can find success just serving a mocktail drinks menu?
1: Ooh, as someone that doesn't drink, I really like the question
3: yes because i don't (laughs) i don't drink alcohol that's why
1: yeah me too me too oh really wow so we have
3: to. that's why i want that's really when you told me about him i was so exciting because i always wanted to ask that question to someone who's a bartender
1: i'm gonna find out and actually you know i'll say i think as you're you're talking a lot about how you know vegan is on is on trend or becoming more popular i think non-alcoholic drinks are are the same, becoming a lot more popular. Definitely, yeah. seeing, I see so, the choices um, on menus are just so much better than they were five years ago, 10 years ago.
3: Yeah, because I feel like not drinking alcohol and I'm always outside dining, I feel like sometimes I don't feel special because I don't want to just have a mojito. I want to see something more intriguing, more exciting. Like the same way I'm doing as a chef and other chef to bring the vegan menu exciting. That's why I wanted to find out with like a well-known bartender, yeah. if a restaurant can be successful just uh, serving a mocktail drinks menu. Well,
1: I will find out. And what, at your at your restaurant, what do you, you have? Um...
3: I do not have like a, I, cause when I opened, I wasn't sure. Cause like I said earlier, that place was meant for catering. And after all the write-up we got so lucky to have people coming to sit down. So right now, we only do homemade juices. Everything is freshly made at the yeah. cafe. Yeah, but I'm thinking about, that's why I wanted to find out if there's any way I can just be trendy and serve mocktails. But that's like, this is my next step. That's why I want to find out from okay. a well-known bartender. Oh, I
1: I feel this, is, I mean, th- there's so much importance now, even more so yeah. in your question.
3: And we I will wish- we'll find out. Okay, we still do like a BYOB, you can bring your own bottle, but still I want to see if I don't have to get a, a like a liquor license and just serve mocktail how people will react to that.
1: Yeah, well. Yeah. Okay. Um we will find out and um, thank you so much. I I love chatting with you and Great to get to know you better. And I can't wait to get back to Berber Street Food and see you.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you for allowing me to share my story. And hopefully from this, we will see more people uh, or adventurous eaters coming to try African food.
1: Yes, I hope so, too.
3: Yeah, thank you so much, Barry. And then uh, let's catch up or whenever you get a chance. Contact me, I will contact you so we can do, uh, like, we can have dinner one night.
1: Yes, yes, we can make a reservation for two together. How about that?
3: Definitely. <laughs> but in the meantime, I will follow your path with the solo dining sometime. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much and have a lovely evening. We're t- going to take a
1: break and we'll come back with my industry news segment with my special guest, Lee Brian Schrager, the founder and director of the Food Network and Cooking Channel South Beach Wine and Food Festival presented by Capital One. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Managing a bar requires understanding more than just drinks. At Diageo Bar Academy, You'll find free training and resources to optimize operations, profitability, teamwork, and more, including bar management to step up your social media marketing and create profitable menus, masterclass events with global industry experts, and finance and budgeting tools to increase profit margins. Stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Visit diageobaracademy.com. That's D I A G E O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's diageobaracademy.com. D I A G E O baracademy.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com HRN. We all know that food businesses like yours are the backbone of your community. You make your neighborhood a more delicious place to be, and your customers are hungry for more. Food businesses across the country are working with Honeycomb to open new locations, buy equipment, and grow. You too can unlock fair growth capital by allowing your community to invest directly into your business. A crowdfunded loan from Honeycomb deepens your customer relationships and gives them a whole new way to engage with your business. You'll also get access to thousands of local investors in the Honeycomb network who are passionate about seeing food businesses succeed. Honeycomb is the community bank of the 21st century fair rates, flexible terms, and no prepayment penalties. Honeycomb has proven to be an invaluable growth tool for all kinds of businesses, from James Beard-nominated restaurants and upstart food trucks to organic farms and award-winning breweries. Best of all, with Honeycomb, you're paying back your neighbors, not big banks. To learn more about how Honeycomb Credit can help grow your business while building vibrant, financially empowered neighborhoods, visit honeycombcredit.com HRN.
1: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. And for industry news this week, I have a special guest joining me. It is Lee Brian schrager the founder and director of the Food Network and Cooking Channel, South Beach Wine and Food Festival, presented by Capital One. So hi, Lee. Welcome back to the show.
4: Good to be back. Good to connect with you again.
1: Yeah, it really is. Uh, I feel it's uh, you've become a little bit of a regular every couple of years coming back and sharing news uh, with me and my listeners. So I love it.
4: I love a good tradition.
1: Uh, yes and and speaking of which we have a great tradition to start to talk about with with south beach so um before before we get into it why don't you tell me a little bit about this past year what it's been like how have you been
4: well what's it been like as you can imagine uh you know you know in my hat at southern glazes wanting spirits where i handle communications it's been an incredibly busy time in the wine and spirit industry, as you've read and seen. Um, from the uh, planning of festival, it's been a very frustrating time. You know, we were, we've were we normally celebrated our, our festival every year in February, and for obvious reasons, we moved it to May, and, um, you know, we've uh, had to kind of uh, start and go 25 different times with different, you know, uh, guidelines and different directives from our government here but I feel like we are finally in a good place to present, you know, uh, a really uh, safe and comfortable festival May 20th through 23rd down here in South Beach.
1: Yeah, it's 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 been a very trying year and I'm sure I can't even imagine uh what it was like on your end with with like start stop or planning and, you know, having to to reschedule, but Yes, May twentieth, twenty third. It's coming up. I'm so excited to get down there for it. So, and I can't believe it's your twentieth anniversary. Like, how did how did time
4: go that I, I quickly? That right. What happens, that's what happens if we get old. But it's a, it's twenty years. <laughs> that's for sure.
1: Yeah. So, so tell tell me a little bit about what's happening this year uh, with the festival. How's it going to look the same and look different than years in the past?
4: Well, it's going to you know look and feel different, obviously, for lots of you know uh, reasons we all know about, all your listeners know about. But you know, the number one priority for us was a you know making sure we could come back in the safest and most comfortable way. That's really been our focus all along. And you know, everything's uh, really changed. Uh, You know, we have our signature events that will be back, and our you know really upscale dinners that will be back. Uh, Every event is outdoors this year. our signature events like Best of the Best that was two, was one night uh, indoors at the Ballroom of the Fountain Blue will be held over two nights outdoors at the Fountain Blue. Um, our Grand Tasting, which is normally one large session on Saturday and Sunday of the Festival Weekend, will now be two sessions of morning and afternoon session of the Festival Weekend. And our big you know, blowout events like Burger Bash and Bubble Q uh, will be in two sessions as well, an early and late session. Um, you know, really so that a tent that used to accommodate 4,000 people at one time will now have two sessions and each session will be a thousand people. So that same tent you were in before for 4,000 will hold 1,000. So you can imagine what a great experience that's going to be. The same number of chefs, the same size tent, but spread out, you know, for only a thousand people rather than 4,000.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm, Looking forward to it, and I did see when I was going through your website and saw. I mean, you have so many events; it's just it's um, it's amazing the the production uh, that you've always put on in are are going to be doing this year. And uh, when I saw Best of the Best was on two nights, and I saw it was outdoors. I thought that was really exciting uh, as as a change. And um, also, it's always challenging to try to get to so many of the events because things sometimes happen at the same time and it's so it kind of gives more opportunity as well to to consumers
4: a- absolutely this will probably be one of the more popular consumer years in the sense of uh no lines and you know a different options early late sessions so it really gives consumers more opportunity so you know who knows it may be so successful that we keep it up uh so out of uh something kind of uh devastating for the whole industry, it may end up to be a good thing for us as soon as we, uh, you know, can figure out how to do this correctly and move on.
1: Right. I also saw you had a new event at the deck at Island Gardens, which is brand new as well. I think it said it was a,
4: a sunset happy hour. Um, actually, that's, it's a it's great awesome. venue. Eh? It's right across from the Children's Museum in Miami. It's actually Miami Beach, I'm guessing, uh, but it's a sunset happy hour hosted by Guy Fieri with a special performance by Sammy Hagar, and it's kind of great local foods. It will be uh, Georgia's stone crabs and Cuban sandwiches and croquetas from Versailles and uh, key lime pie from Fireman Derek, plus the venue itself has a great chef. Who will be doing stations, uh, and also complemented by great drinks from uh, Santo uh, Guy Fieri's tequila with Sammy Hagar.
1: Ah, oh, awesome! So, what are the the protocols for people who want to attend with with COVID?
4: What are the requirements? Well, I I, I mean, there are lots of requirements. I mean, just getting into it, you'll have to download an app called SimCheck and you'll have to have, you know, uh, do an attestation that you've not been, uh, that you've either been vaccinated or that you have tested negative to uh, uh, a PCR test three days prior to the event. Uh, Once you get into the event, um, you, you know, there's mandatory mask wearing, except when you're eating at a table. So there'll be lots of seating this year. Uh, the lines and the tents are going to be all going one way rather than people going, you know, all directions. So a lot more emphasis on, um, you know, keeping it flowing uh, smoothly and quickly. But for the most part, it's really that as testation and wearing uh, uh, the masks throughout.
1: Yeah, well, it's 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 I think it's important and great. You're putting safety first and that South Beach is I mean, traditionally it's it's been a. Uh, being on the beach, that an outdoor event, and or a lot, and a lot of opportunity to be outside. So I think that's that's wonderful that um, that is where most of your events are, are happening.
4: Well, all the events. Everything will be outside.
1: Oh, everything. Okay. Yep. Nothing mm-hmm. inside. Amazing. Uh, what about, let's just talk a little bit about uh, New York City Wine and Food Festival as your other... Big festival project. Um, uh, what are your plans for that? Is it is it moving
4: forward for October? Sure, it will be October fourteenth through seventeenth, and we you know are continuing. Well, we're beginning to map out a program, but it, uh, we you know uh, we are our, our new home for our signature you know grand tasting will be the Glass House on the West Side Highway, and our uh, nighttime signature events will take place at the Intrepid. So again, new locations for both events, allowing us more space and opportunities to control everything in the safest and most comfortable environment. But definitely happening October 14th through
1: 17th. Awesome. Well, that's that's just down the block from me, The Intrepid. So, <laughs> right there. Yeah. Um, well, I look forward to that as well. And um, yeah, I'm so excited for this year and to get down to Miami. And it's. I give you and your team a lot, a lot of credit for for being, you know, being patient and then being able to move forward and celebrate your 20th. Well, it
4: was was very important for us to come back and support the industry. So although our tagline has always been eat, drink, educate this year, it has been uh, amended to be eat, drink, educate and support local. A lot of emphasis on relief and recovery for our great partners who have been supporting us for 20 years in South Florida.
1: Yeah. I love that. And that just, so are the chefs um, involved this year, mostly uh, South Florida based or are you have people coming in from all over the country?
4: sure yeah we, you know we're normally we bring in about 400 people from across the country or actually across the globe this year will be just under 300 so a reduction of about 25 percent. but remember we have so many great talents here in south florida now you know with jean george being here and thomas keller and daniel balu and fabio trabiocchi those are now all local talents for us so uh you know it's an extraordinary lineup of talent and really something for everyone this year
1: yeah, absolutely. People, I mean, I know it's been in the news a bunch about how there's there's New York City restaurants that have have opened down in Miami from Coat and Carbon and Pastis is coming, and so yep. Miami has definitely uh, been been ta- people are talking about what's happening there in the dining scene.
4: Everyone's here. That's no question about it. All the New Yorkers are here, and all the restaurants are here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, amazing. So, anything else you you want
4: to add? Nope, just happy to be back and that's what we're most looking forward to being back in the safest, most comfortable way to eat, drink, educate and of course support local and we appreciate your support all these years and looking forward to seeing you on the beach.
1: Thank you. I look forward to seeing you too. I'm I'm really I'm really thrilled to get back down there and be a part of it and for people who want to join and you should go to sobe wff That's S-O-B-E-W-F-F dot org. And check out the lineup and get your tickets. So thanks so much, Lee. Me too. Okay, bye. And that's our show. Many thanks to my special guest, Lee Brian schrager founder and director of the Food Network and Cooking Channel South Beach Wine and Food Festival, presented by Capital One, which is taking place May 20th, to 23rd in South Beach. Their website is sobewff.org and on social media at Sobe W-F-F-E-S-T, hashtag s-o-b-e-w-f-f. Also many thanks to my guest today, Diana Tandia, the chef and owner of Berber Street Food in New York City. Her website is berberstreetfood.com and on social media, she's at Berber Street Food. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at all industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry. Websites Bayerpublicrelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and allintheindustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritage Radio network.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer Amanda Wang. Thanks again to Diana and Lee and Autumn Lewis from The Door. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then. Stay safe and well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye.